When you think about it, pride and impatience are two sides of the one coin. Maybe that's why so many people are in such a hurry to become an overnight success. Problem is, our plan isn't always God's plan, and impatience leads to an enormous amount of frustration. Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond, and thank you so much again for joining me on Christianity Works. Today, we're heading into the final message in this series called, rather tongue-in-cheek, Becoming an Overnight Success, to chat about humility and hope. If you've been able to join me over the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we're talking about this crazy notion that we can become an overnight success. Success is a seductive concept, and time and time again we're told in the media, by the advertising industry, even in the sitcoms that we watch, that you can be whatever you want to be, and you can do whatever you want to do. And in a world where things have become oh so instant, somebody has dropped this notion on our heads that we can have success and we can have it now. Just think about how the world's changed. I remember when I was a boy, we didn't have a phone in our house. We, we just didn't. If my parents wanted to make a phone call, they had to wander down the street to use the public phone. But then again, most of their friends didn't have any phones in their houses either. So what was the point? Just think about the implications of that. How do you arrange to go out with your friends? Well, you did it weeks in advance, and it was something special that you planned, and you didn't go very often. It also meant, by default, that your friends mostly consisted of people with whom you had regular contact. Your neighbours, the parents of the children that your kids went to school with, perhaps, or, or a few work colleagues. But now, communication is instant. Most people have a mobile phone in their pocket or in their handbag. SMS instant, phone call instant, email instant. In fact, many a day before 7am, I've been on Skype to one of my colleagues in Africa or America. Space and time are no longer boundaries. Pretty much any piece of information you need is in the palm of your hand. If I need a statistic or a fact for one of these messages, I just Google it and bingo, there it is in a fraction of a second. You can see then how over the last few decades, our mentality has shifted from having to wait for things back then to having them instantly today. Combine that with this idea that you can be anyone you want to be and do anything you want to do, and can you see then how easy it is for you and for me to imagine that somehow we truly are at the centre of the universe? That's a notion that breeds pride, unhealthy pride, and that unhealthy pride demands to be satisfied instantly. Like I said, pride and impatience are two sides of the one coin. And that's why I believe so many people are so frustrated with their lives today. Because when all is said and done, the world doesn't think of us at the centre of the universe. The world doesn't dance to our tune. The theory, the view that we have of ourselves is a false one. It's, it's out of touch with reality. And so our expectations of how things should be are completely out of sync with how things really are. I want to be an overnight success but it's just not working out for me. I think there's many a person who understands that level of constant frustration in their lives. Is that a frustration that you would like to be set free from, perhaps? 
Is that something that's been grinding away at you, this constant sense that things aren't moving quickly enough for you, in your direction, according to your plans, to make you feel good? Well, God has a solution for you. And that solution has a name. It's called humility. Let's head to the dictionary and try first to understand what humility really is. I quote, The quality of having a modest or low view of one's own self-importance. And then the example that my dictionary gives me is this. He needs humility to accept there may be a better way. Pretty good definition. And you can see how completely opposed the quality of humility is to the worldview that so many people have developed with themselves on top, with themselves at the centre, with the rest of the world, God included, dancing to their tune. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you must clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The idea of younger people accepting authority from their elders these days in many cultures and communities has gone straight out the window. And those where traditional family values still dominate are seeing them being eroded as affluence and Western culture starts to bite. I love how the Apostle Peter puts it there. You must clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another. Can I tell you, the people I really, really like being around are the humble ones. Just recently I caught up for lunch with one of my heroes, Phil Littlejohn. Phil was the pastor of the first church I ever attended after becoming a Christian. I remember him saying once in one of his sermons years ago that humility is strength under control. It's not about being a doormat or having low self-esteem or or being a weakling, no. Humility is simply ditching this notion that I am the centre of the universe, that I am on the top of the heap. And when you meet people who have humility, you want to be around them, don't you? I know so many smart, competent, strong people who yet are humble and feels one of those. Listen to what Jesus had to say on the subject. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 to 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child, whom he put among them, and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. In fact, Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, said this of himself on the subject of humility. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said of himself that he is humble of heart, How do we know that? Not just by what he said, but by what he did. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, didn't regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself by dying on a cross for you and me, and what God is calling us to do is to be like him, to let the same mind be in us, that was in Jesus, to look first to the interests of others, to, like Jesus, come to serve, not to be served. And when we do that, God will exalt us, for he opposes the proud, but he exalts the humble. That right there is one of the most powerful spiritual principles that you will ever encounter. So, if you're frustrated, if the world isn't dancing to your tune, if the success you're after isn't quite as instant and as overnight as you'd want it to be, then here's the answer. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Resign as the centre of the universe. Serve, care about others before yourself. And God will exalt you. God will promote you in due time. Let the same mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ. Maybe that's what having a midlife crisis is all about, coming to the realisation that you're not going to have the overnight success that you've been chasing all your life. At some point, maybe it's in your 40s or your 50s, you realise that you're not the bee's knees, you're not going to set the world on fire. And for some it happens earlier, for some it happens later. But that youthful exuberance that we once had, that, that idealism that sprang forth so naturally, that flame that burned inside us to, to change the world... It's quenched, it's snuffed out. It's a terrible realisation because for many it's the death of hope. For many, where once there was meaning, now there's only meaninglessness. King Solomon was one of the richest and wisest men who ever lived. Towards the end of his life he said this, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning at verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hurries to the place where it rises again. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north and and round and round goes the wind on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run into the sea, but the sea is never full, to the place where streams flow, where they continue to flow. All things are wearisome. More than one can express. The eye is never satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it can be said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. The people of long ago are not remembered, nor will there be a remembrance of people yet to come, by those who come after them. (laughs) It's a pretty sad conclusion for a rich, wealthy, powerful, wise man to come to. After all I've done, after all I've had, none of it means anything. That's the stuff of midlife crisis. That's, That's the stuff that drives people over the edge. All those years we've been sacrificing our lives for what? An ideal, an idea, an image of success that turned out to be as elusive 
as a mirage in the desert. What am I living for? What, what am I working so hard for? They're the questions we end up asking ourselves when we've wasted half our lives, perhaps more, on the altar of success. It was that stuff, as a very successful man in my mid-thirties, it was precisely this that drove me to the brink of suicide. Not everyone, thankfully, gets to that point, but you'd be amazed at how many people actually think about it. Why? Because they've lost hope. Because the world's promise of overnight success turned out to be a rotten, stinking lie. We talked before the break about humility, the transformative power of having a humble heart. Well, right now, I'd like to chat with you briefly about another word that begins with H. Hope. The sort of hope that you need in your heart when things quite haven't worked out the way you planned them to. When hope is lost, when the future seems to have gone AWOL, it's in that very place that God has something for you that goes beyond, way beyond anything that you and I could have imagined. Hope. Real, certain, rock-solid hope. Writes the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul had by this time been through many trials in his life, in his ministry for Jesus across the known world. He'd suffered a lot. Things hadn't gone the way he'd expected them to. He wrote this letter to the Romans in Corinth while he was on his third missionary journey. By this time, he's been on the road proclaiming Jesus for a good many years. He's been beaten, locked up, threatened with death. He's had people ride against him, drive him out of town, plot his assassination. He wanted to go here and there, but his plans were blocked, sometimes by God, sometimes by the devil and sometimes by people. Things hadn't always gone the way he'd planned, and he knew he was probably going to be locked up when he headed down to Jerusalem. And yet Paul talks here in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, about the God of hope, a God who will fill you with all joy and all peace, not, not just a bit of joy now and then, not just the occasional flitting moment of peace, but all joy and all peace, the sort of joy and the sort of peace that Paul exhibited during his times of trial, the sort of joy and the sort of peace that came to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And his prayer for the Romans is that they would abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you notice this abundance language here? Abound in hope, overflow with hope. And all this comes through believing. Let's read it again so that it all comes together. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In believing. In believing in what exactly? He's talking about believing in Jesus. For so much of my life, I hoped for success and I hoped for wealth and all that stuff. That's what led me to the brink. And it was in that place that Jesus met me. It was in that place that I discovered this God who loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me, to pay the price of my sin, of my rebellion, so that I, I, could live for eternity with him. Can, can you or I see eternity yet? No, we can't. Romans chapter 8, verses 23 and 24. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what is not seen, 
we wait for it in patience. And now that my hope is in Jesus, God's given me the patience to wait for his promise, his promise of eternal life, his promise of sharing in his glory forever and ever. And when Paul, from amidst his trials, writes about being filled with all joy and all peace and abounding in hope in believing, that's something I totally get because that's exactly how it is. All those years I was chasing the shiny promises of the world that led me in the end towards death when all along the real answer was Jesus. The real answer is Jesus. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah wrote this. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Who or what have you placed your trust in? Who or what do you hope in? In success? Then you're going to be disappointed in Jesus. Then you'll be filled with a hope that abounds in you, that overflows out of you, that in believing brings you all joy and all peace. I'm so conscious that so many people are listening today around the world who haven't yet placed their hope in Jesus. So if you want to do that, then please pray this prayer with me right now. Don't leave it one more minute. Father God, today I've heard about Jesus, about the one who loved me so much that he came and died and paid the price of my rebellion against you, the one who rose again to give me a life, an eternal life with you. And today... I want to put all my trust and all my hope in Jesus, in him alone. Please forgive me for all my sins. Please take me just as I am. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit so that by his power I might be filled with all joy and all peace and abound in the certain hope of your blessings here in this world and eternity with you in Jesus' name, I pray. It doesn't matter how much the plans and dreams that you've had for your life seem to have gone awry, how much they've been delayed, how how disillusioned you may be. I know that God is on your case and I know that he's up to some mighty good things in your life. From when I received a clear, distinctive call from God one afternoon when I was ironing of all things to go out and tell people about Jesus like I am now until I finally started doing what I'm doing now, was eight years. Eight years. That's a long time when you're rearing and ready to go. And along the way, as God has called us here at Christianity Works to minister into this country and into that country, and we've stepped out not knowing how we were going to resource that, can I tell you, each and every time we've stepped out into new continents and new countries, there have been setbacks and delays opposition, things not going the way we'd hoped, things happening much more slowly than we'd hoped. And yet one by one, things have all fallen into place because God is faithful. He's there. In fact, he went ahead of us just like he went ahead of Moses, just like he went ahead of Abraham and Joseph and and any other Bible character that you would care to name. It's just that worldly success was never part of his plan. Look at the Apostle Paul, who faced so many trials and setbacks and delays and beatings and shipwrecks, and on and on it goes. This is what he says about all of those things. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. So we don't lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. 
For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure, because we look not at what can be seen, but what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. And that is exactly the sort of attitude, the sort of faith, the sort of perseverance, the sort of victory that God is wanting to build in you and me. As he sets up for us, he's preordained, he's, he's anointed setbacks and delays for you and me to walk into. I've never heard someone come back from a three-week luxury holiday and say, man, God really grew my character. God really developed my stamina and my endurance over that holiday. Well, maybe God gave you a much-needed rest and a much-needed refreshment over the holiday, but your character is only ever developed in the heat of battle. Your character is only ever refined and made pure and strong in the furnace of life suffering. And God isn't doing this in order to be sadistic. Your pains and your hurts hurt him as much as they hurt you because he loves you. He, he feels your pain more acutely than you'd ever imagine. Now, he's doing it for a purpose. He, he's wanting to give you something so precious that he's prepared to let you suffer for it. Here it is, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. Look, discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight the paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. Because when we start living in the righteousness, the goodness, the right way of living rather than the wrong way of living, when we learn these hard lessons and start living in the wisdom that we discovered in those fiery trials... We develop this peaceful fruit in our lives, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Think about it. When we've developed the capacity to accept or tolerate delay and problems and suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious, what we'll have in those tough times is peace. And that's what God wants you to have. Peace. been listening to Christianity Works with Bernie Dimet. Before we go, there's something truly important that I need to share with you. This podcast is only made possible through the prayer and support of friends like you. Each week, millions of people hear about Jesus through Christianity Works radio and television broadcasts and through podcasts just like this one. Your generous gift of support today will help take the gospel of Jesus Christ far and wide around the globe. Just stop by at ChristianityWorks.org and click the donate button. And when you do give, don't forget to request your free copy of this month's latest life application e-booklet. Thank you so much for your generous gift of support today. Again, that web address is ChristianityWorks.org. I'm Jennifer. We'll catch you again next time. 